everyone doing? So, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 21. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, and in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I don't feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. If I must boast, I'll boast of all the things that show my weaknesses. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. Let's say our scriptural declaration together. Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit in our life's practice. All right. Well, thank you so much, Paul. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and dismiss the teens. If you guys would like to go ahead and go back, Eric is ready to go with you guys. And uh, y'all can do your class back there. And thank you for being a part of things already up to this point. Now, before we get into today's message, and by the way, if you'll just keep that uh, uh, Bible app open or your Bible open to that page, we're going to be referring back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 a few different times in our time together today. But before we go any further, I want to take a minute and just say thank you guys for the pastor appreciation last week. It was really, really, really nice. And really, um, as I wrote this morning, it was a blessing on top of a blessing. I feel honored to be able to be here to preach and teach with you guys each and every week. Y'all are always so generous and so kind with your time and your attention. And uh, I really do appreciate it. And then uh, you guys gift me uh, a, a number of things. And then on top of that, just some kind words from everybody. So I wanna say thank you to Kim Potts Donna Jones, Marie Baptiste. That's the pretty section of the folks that spoke last week. Then we had Paul and Joku, Peter Robinson, and Eric Teague, kind of the not as pretty section, but 
All six of y'all, thank y'all so much for the kind words. Um, I know it's a little nerve-wracking to get up and speak in front of people, and I know that others actually had mentioned the possibility of speaking, but thank you guys so much. And I also want to shout out Kim Addicts. I think she's out there at the reception counter, and uh, I have been told that she did a ton of behind-the-scenes work to make sure this all came together. Um, and so thank y'all again for being so kind uh, and so incredibly generous and loving and supportive of Shelly and I. We just love it here. We love you guys, and y'all are such a blessing to us. Thank you so much. Um, well, so <laughs> it's a funny thing that happened last week. If you were here, you know I did something I normally don't do. I also, if you were not here, maybe you heard about it because it was that unusual. I looked at my watch and I was like, I'm nowhere close to the end. I'm no way am I going to get through this without you guys just like getting up and leaving. You know, the call of hunger eventually will get you. Uh, and so I thought, I've got to do that again uh, next week and try to finish it up and kind of put a bow on it all. But we do want to begin and talk a little bit about some of that thing that we talked about last week, that thing that they call grit. And you've been hearing some about that uh, probably. Uh, if you've passed by Macario Garcia Middle School, which is close to where we live, you can see it, they put it up there on the sign. It says Gator Grit. And there's a lot of talk about grit and what it is. And this is not just for people who have young kids that are trying to instill those values in them. This is for you. This is for your grown children. This is for your grandchildren and on and on. And so we're going to talk a little bit about grit and what that looks like and what that means. Um, so we're going to begin where we began last week. And that is we had a video that we shared. And I think it's going to be just as interesting to you the second time you'll catch pieces that you did not catch. And so we're going to begin um, with that video. So if you don't mind, let's go ahead and click to that, and you guys enjoy this video of Angela Duckworth at a TED Talk. When I was 27 years old, I left a very demanding job in management consulting for a job that was even more demanding, teaching. I went to teach seventh graders math in the New York City public schools. And like any teacher, I made quizzes and tests, I gave out homework assignments. When the work came back, I calculated grades. What struck me was that IQ was not the only difference between my best and my worst students. Some of my strongest performers did not have stratospheric IQ scores. Some of my smartest kids weren't doing so well. And that got me thinking. The kinds of things you need to learn in seventh grade math, sure, they're hard. Ratios, decimals, the area of a parallelogram. But these concepts are not impossible. And I was firmly convinced that every one of my students could learn the material if they worked hard and long enough. After several more years of teaching, I came to the conclusion that what we need in education is a much better understanding of students and learning from a motivational perspective, from a psychological perspective. In education, the one thing we know how to measure best is IQ. But what if doing well in school and in life depends on much more than your ability to learn quickly and easily? So I left the classroom, and I went to graduate school to become a psychologist. 
I started studying kids and adults in all kinds of super challenging settings. And in every study, my question was, who is successful here and why? My research team and I went to West Point Military Academy. We tried to predict which cadets would stay in military training and which would drop out. We went to the National Spelling Bee and tried to predict which children would advance farthest in competition. We studied rookie teachers working in really tough neighborhoods, asking which teachers are still going to be here in teaching by the end of the school year. And of those, who will be the most effective at improving learning outcomes for their students? We partnered with private companies asking, which of these salespeople is going to keep their jobs? And who's going to earn the most money? In all those very different contexts, one characteristic emerged as a significant predictor of success. And it wasn't social intelligence, it wasn't good looks, physical health, and it wasn't IQ. It was grit. Grit is passion and perseverance for very long-term goals. Grit is having stamina. Grit is sticking with your future, day in, day out, not just for the week, not just for the month, but for years, and working really hard to make that future a reality. Grit is living life like it's a marathon, not a sprint. A few years ago, I started studying grit in the Chicago public schools. I asked thousands of high school juniors to take grit questionnaires, and then waited around more than a year to see who would graduate. Turns out, that grittier kids were significantly more likely to graduate, even when I matched them on every characteristic I could measure. Things like family income, standardized achievement test scores, even how safe kids felt when they were at school. So it's not just at West Point or the National Spelling Bee that grit matters, it's also in school, especially for kids at risk for dropping out. To me, the most shocking thing about grit is how little we know, how little science knows about building it. Every day, parents and teachers ask me, how do I build grit in kids? What do I do to teach kids a solid work ethic? How do I keep them motivated for the long run? The honest answer is, I don't know. <laughs> what I do know is that talent doesn't make you gritty. Our data show very clearly that there are many talented individuals who simply do not follow through on their commitments. In fact, in our data, grit is usually unrelated or even inversely related to measures of talent. So far, the best idea I've heard about building grit in kids is something called growth mindset. This is an idea developed at Stanford University by Carol Dweck, and it is the belief that the ability to learn is not fixed, that it can change with your effort. Dr. Dweck has shown that when kids read and learn about the brain and how it changes and grows in response to challenge, they're much more likely to persevere when they fail because they don't believe that failure is a permanent condition. So growth mindset is a great idea for building grit, but we need more. And that's where I'm going to end my remarks, because that's where we are. That's the work that stands before us. We need to take our best ideas, our strongest intuitions, and we need to test them. We need to measure whether we've been successful, and we have to be willing to fail, to be wrong, 
to start over again with lessons learned. In other words, we need to be gritty about getting our kids grittier. Thank you. All right, so this is a video that I shared with you guys last week, and hopefully it's something that you learned again from, even if you saw it last week. And I'll be referring to some of the things that were mentioned last week um, as well, all throughout the message. But let me just remind you of the, the definition that Angela Duckworth gave about what grit is, and it's going to be up here on the screen. Um, grit is passion and perseverance for a long-term goal. One way to think about grit is to consider what grit isn't. It's not talent. It's not luck. It isn't how intensely in the moment you want something. Instead, grit is about having uh, something that researchers call, and then it's continued on the next slide, an ultimate concern, a goal that you care about so much that it organizes and gives meaning to almost everything that you do. And grit is holding steadfast to that goal, even when you fall down, even when you screw up, even when progress towards that goal is halting or slow. Now, I am going to be coming from the perspective of challenging you and helping you, hopefully, to pour into your kids, grandkids, and those uh, different ones that are so important to each one of us. But let me just share this with you. We've all been there. We have all fallen down when, it was going, when we were going towards a goal. We've all screwed up and been on the wrong path when we thought we were on the right one. We've all had progress towards goals that is halting, meaning it goes and then it stops, and then it goes and then it stops, or just very, very slow. The difference here is that you and I have to stick on that path even when all of these things are true, when we've screwed up, when we fell uh, and fallen, even when things are halting or slow, it's important for us to become gritty and stay with those things that we know are powerful and important for us to uh, succeed and go forward in. And we talked a lot about the grit of Paul and what that looks like. So let's go to our next slide. And as you see here, I mentioned all of these things last week. I'm going to mention them very, very quickly. Paul on the Damascus Road was going one direction in his life, and he did a 180-degree turn and went absolutely in the opposite direction. He was succeeding in these things, and then suddenly he met God and his son Jesus on the Damascus Road, and everything that he was doing turned around and went in absolutely the opposite direction. Now, I don't know about you, but that would be frustrating. If I was a success in one area and then suddenly everything changed and flipped and I had to start all over at point A and began in a whole different direction, it would almost be too much. It would almost be one of those things where you want to wash your hands and say, it's just too much. I'm going to stay on the same path even if I know it's not the right one. So it's very difficult to not see that in Paul and say, wow, what a gritty individual. But he also talked about his thorn in the flesh in this passage of scripture. It's a little uh, uh, before and after. He speaks about the thorn in the flesh and he speaks about it being something that consistently crops up and hurts him and harms him. It makes it difficult for him to do all that he wants to do. He thinks that he can serve God better without that thorn in the flesh, but God said, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. And you probably have heard that passage of scripture. But if you have dealt with any kind of 
physical or mental ailment that is consistent in your life, you know that sometimes those are things that go away and get solved. But a lot of the time, especially as you get older, can I get an amen from some of the older folks in here? You know, it's not stuff that goes away. It's stuff that you just deal with and figure out how to live your best life, even in the midst of things that are less than your best, right? Amen. That's how it goes. And so you got to be gritty to keep moving forward and not let it be something that waylays you or makes you bitter, (laughs) hurtful, and harm other people. We talked about the prison epistles last week, how Paul was in prison at least two different times, how he wrote to, uh, letters. Those, that word epistles basically means letters, and it, it was a, a letter that he wrote to those who were outside whenever he was in prison, and it would have been very easy to go inward rather than outward, but he would not allow himself, despite the terrible circumstances and the frustrating situation, to become so inward that he forgot about those that were out there where he could make a difference and make an impact. And then we talked about the John Mark situation where he split from a ministry partner because he was so frustrated with his uh, inability to follow through, not nearly enough grit for Paul's liking. But later he realized that just because a young man had failed when he was young did not label him a failure forever. And at the very end of his life, in literally one of the last things he wrote in the scriptures that we have recorded and preserved for us today, he said, I want you to bring John Mark to me because he is helpful to me in my ministry and I wanna see him one more time before I die. Basically, that's what he says. And you can see this in this, last, or in this next slide here. One of the last things that Paul ever wrote was 2 Timothy. And the last verse and chapters of 2 Timothy are 2 Timothy chapter 4. And that's our one to remember. If you're inter- interested in memorizing scripture, the one to remember is right here on our next slide. It's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so it is so important that we see there's no doubt that Paul is a guy who is very, very gritty. He stays on the path that God has him on, that he placed him on, and he moves forward. So that brings us to our big idea And it's the same one from last week. Let's just kind of continue it. And it is here. The most successful and respected people in our world are people with grit. Now, I'm going to just talk about how that plays out and then we'll come back to it. So let's go to our next slide. And as you see here, money alone is not success. And some of the people that you respect most in this world are unknowns because they still inspire you, not because of what they have, but because of what they have on the inside. Now, let me just slow down here for a minute. How many of you here have somebody in your life that they probably would never be somebody that others would pick out and point to and say, oh, what an inspiration, but they have made a huge impact in your life because of the way that they were, the way that they handled themselves, the things that they overcame in their life. Can I see your hands if that's true for you? You have people like that. I have people like that. Some of the unknown people are some of the most inspiring people, not because they have the world's label of success, but because they know that they are on the right path and they're making an impact in small ways. And then third there, how the big idea plays out, we have to know that life has many seasons and we also know that God is always working. Here's what I mean by that. Let me just be very clear. You think about Paul. 
and he, you know, I'm sure he had to think, hey, I'm in prison right now, but I'm going to continue to write. But if I never get out or if I get out later, does not matter. I'm going to be effective in this season in the best way possible. That is grit. Now, let me just again, slow down a little bit here, because if you've got it or if you want to see it in your kids, your kids are going to have times. All right, hold on. I should have brought a picture. How many of y'all went through an awkward phase when, I don't know, probably middle school, late late elementary? Can I get an amen? I mean, let me see. Yeah. Uh, Some of y'all are like, Randy, you're still in your awkward phase. I appreciate that. Uh, Be nice. Be nicer. But no, seriously, you went through a time where you were... When you're a kid, have you ever noticed that you grow up and then out and then up and then out? It's just the way it is. And for some of us, you know, like those times when you were growing out but not up is like, man, I don't want to see any of the family, you know, that I don't see every, every now and then or whatever because I'm just not in a good place and in a good phase and a good season, right? This is how it is in life. You can be your very best And then two, three, four years for whatever, physical reason, emotional reason, whatever it might be, you might be in a totally different place and it's not your best place. But the question is, are you going to stay in there and say, you know what, this is a season. Even right now, this is a season. It's not going to be like this forever. And this is important for us because your kids face those seasons. And listen to me they don't have the perspective that you and I have. We laugh about that stuff, about going through the awkward phases and all of the times when your skin wasn't great and you know you were growing out and not up and all that. We laugh about that stuff now because we know it doesn't really matter and it doesn't fully play a huge role in who we are day to day. Guess what? They think it matters a lot. It matters way too much to them because they don't have the perspective that we have. It's called wisdom and it comes with age and gray hairs and all these other things, but it has to be experienced and they're experiencing stuff for the first time. That is why the pandemic was so hard on our younger kids, on our teenagers and on our 20-somethings. This is stuff that we can talk about right now when it's just us and they're back in the teen class, right? But the reason that it's so hard for them is They don't have the memory. Even if they've been uh, alive 15 years, they remember 10 of those 15, right? They don't have perspective like we do. And so they need wisdom from you and I to pour into them and say, this is just a season. Hang in there. It's gonna be okay. I know it feels like everything is shaking right now, but it's gonna be okay. The only king forever is still on the throne. Can I get an amen, right? And so that is why we have that kind of settledness that they are lacking. It, what, it is what helps us to have the grit to keep going and keep moving. We see this in Ecclesiastes chapter three when uh, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, wrote, there is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build. And I just wanna say this real quickly. I think what we want to do is go, cool, I like the time to be born. Let's just skip over the time to die. I like the time to plant, not crazy about the time to uproot. We want all of the good and none of the negative. But the truth of the matter is, is that for most of us, 
Most of us grew most in the valleys, not on the mountaintops. And so we've become better people for our time in the valley, even though we would love to be able to avoid it and skip it altogether. And the truth is, is that there are times in our life that are going to happen and we will go through all of these things, not just simply the ones we wish for. And it's not about being a holy person because the truth of the matter is, is that life is tough on all of us, period. I heard somebody say something the other day that I thought was pretty good. Um, asking life to not treat you, you know, in, in a tough way because you're a good person is like asking a bull not to charge because you're a vegetarian. Like, it just ain't going to work, right? It just ain't going to happen. So we have to go in there with the mindset of, hey, I'm going to come and overcome this thing. These are seasons in our life. So let's go back to our big idea, the most successful and respected people in our world are people with grit. Would you guys say that with me on the count of three? Ready, one, two, three. The most successful and respected people in our world are people with grit. So that means you and I have that opportunity to be that kind of person as well. So let's talk a little bit about Paul's obstacles that he faced from the outside. Um, Paul and Joku read about Paul's life a little bit here. Uh, thank you, Paul. But notice here, he talks about five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. And if y'all didn't know, by the way, Paul isn't an accountant. And so he said, that's 39, by the way. Last week when he was reading the scriptures, he was like, that's 39, by the way. Thank you, Paul. Actually, I'm not really a very good math student, but there is more to this. I highlighted it for that reason. But three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I don't know if y'all heard that, but if you can imagine what it must have been like to be stuck in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, not being able to see anything except for the darkness and the stars, not knowing what's underneath you. Every time I feel anything bump me at the Galveston uh, Beach, it's a shark. How, can I say anybody? All right, it, at very worst, or at very least, it's a jellyfish, but usually it's a huge, great white shark, 22 foot long uh, in that 18 inch water. Uh, anyway, but he says, I've labored and I've toiled and I've gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and I've gone without food. In other words, man, I've been through it all. I've been through it all. All of this stuff that goes on outside has found me. And even then, I still was not gonna quit. Now let's go to our something to learn here. I've got two of them back to back. The 40 lashes minus one, yes, does add up to 39. Yes, that is true. But Paul said he endured it five times. It was a Jewish punishment based on Deuteronomy 25, one through three. It was taught that enduring more than 40 lashes made the likelihood of a person dying very likely and very high. So in order not to give somebody more than 40 lashes, the Jews would instead give 40 minus one. On purpose, they would leave one out. Because when they were punishing them in something that they were not wanting them to have, you know, have to die for, they would give them the 40 lashes minus one. In other words, they would basically make sure they did not accidentally miscount because they knew they were beating somebody within an inch of their life. You guys understand what I'm saying? It's a powerful thing. It happened five times. Now, I don't know about you. I've said some things to Shelly that I thought I might be beaten within an inch of my life. She was very gracious, all right? It did not happen. But here's what I know. I could never say I've been beaten within an inch of my life. Maybe you can, but I have a serious doubt that that has happened more than once 
if it's ever happened to you. Paul said, it happened to me because I was preaching and teaching the gospel five different times. Now, I don't know about you, but that hits me right in the heart, and I realize this man had grit for the right kind of thing. He had grit for God's purpose in his life, and there was no way they were gonna beat him off of that path. It's a powerful thing, and he talks about all these other things, but I wanna go even further, and I wanna go a little deeper. This second something to learn very quickly is the apostle Paul faced opponents in Corinth that he turned super apostles, It was Paul's way of kind of clapping back at those, how his opponents ran him down with constantly negative statements about him and how they love to hype themselves up before other people. Basically, he said, these guys are style over substance. Me, I'm actually substance without style. That's like basically what Paul is saying. If you're looking for style over substance, don't look at me because that's not where you're gonna find here. The truth is, is that Paul was there to do what was right, not to receive all these accolades. But let's go to our next slide. And we see here in 2 Corinthians 11, he said, besides for everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all of the churches. In other words, I faced all of this stuff outside my body that I could not control. But I want you to know that those things that are burdens to me to face, they don't even really touch the idea of the fact that I have a concern for all of these different churches that I have planted, all of these different places that I've been in Asia Minor, that I've shared the gospel, and I want them to do well. I want them to make it. I did not stay, but I want them to do well, and I think about them every single day. Now, here's what I would say to you and to me. It's important to realize and understand that grit in your physical body does not equal grit in your mental state of mind. Because some of us can take pain on the outside, but we can't handle pain in here and vice versa. And so there is a grit to Paul that says, I can handle it out here, but I want you to know that that doesn't mean that I don't have a pain and a struggle here as well. And we've been talking a lot in our society about mental health and we've brought that to the forefront and I think that that is a very good thing. And so as we talk about this, never forget that it is grit from the exterior, but it is also grit from the interior, the inside. And let me go a little further here and I wanna go further on the next slide. Who is weak and I don't feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Here's what Paul is saying. He says, You guys may think I'm some super Christian because I don't fall and I don't do all of these things that these super apostles are doing, but I want you to know I have those same temptations. Now, why am I saying anything about this when it comes to grit? Here's why I'm saying it. You may have told yourself a lie that means that you might have even said to yourself, you know what, Uh, those people who resist that temptation to give in are people who just don't feel it like I do. And I think that's what Paul is saying here. I feel it just like they feel it. I would love for people to sing my praises. You guys are not doing that, Corinthians. You're not doing that. And I would love for that to happen. But I'm not gonna let that stop me from doing what is right by you. 
You think they've done something for you when all they've done is take advantage of you. I've given everything that I could for you and you've treated me with disdain, but that is not gonna change the fact that I love you and I'm gonna treat you the right way, period. It's not because Paul had it all together and didn't face the hurt of rejection. It's like he said, you know what? What is right is right, and that is what I will do. And God has called me to be an apostle. I don't have the freedom to act any old way I want to do it. I have to be what God has called me to be. And can I just say something? I'm going to go a little further. For you as a Christian, he's already given you his name. You should act like it. I mean, you should bring glory to his name, not disrespect and disregard on his name. And so that takes grit to hang in there because there will be times where you feel like you want to just give in and give up, but don't. All right, well, I'm going to keep moving here, and I'm, I promise y'all I'm finishing today's message for sure. I'm not doing part three next week. I just want you to know. All right, so very quickly, I want you to see something here and maybe a little bit of a mental break here. I don't know if you guys uh, can, yeah. All right, so check this out. This, the lady on the left is Juliana Pena, and the lady on the right is a lady named Amana Nunez. The lady on the left is from Venezuela. The lady on the right is from Brazil. The lady on the left is called the Venezuelan vixen. All right, which is funny because that's exactly what Shelly asks me to call her all the time, and she's not even from Ven. Seeing if y'all are awake. All right, and then this is the ultimate fighting championship. It's two ladies that are about to have a fight. All right, so if you guys can kind of get an idea here, she actually does make me call her the lioness, which is very interesting and very fitting. But check this out. Do y'all see the guy? This next, that's Joe Rogan. He has a little podcast. Maybe you've heard of it. The Joe Rogan. He is into like trying to figure this out. And y'all are all like, Randy, what does this have to do with anything whatsoever? I'm glad I pretended you ask. Here's what I would love for you to see. Wait, wait, don't go any further. Don't go any further. Look at the far left. You see those little bitty hands down on the left? Go to the next slide. That is Juliana Pena's daughter. She's ready to fight her too. <laughs> now, I'm just going to tell you, I love this picture because her mom's got her dukes up. She's ready to go. She's in the face off. Thank you. Uh, and then you see this little girl. She's like, I've got mine ready to go too. I'm ready. Now, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think she probably wouldn't be favored in the fight, to be honest, but she's ready to roll, right? Now, let me ask you this question. Why does she have her hands up like this? I want you to think about this. Why does she have her hands up in somebody who so clearly outsizes her in a fight that she might most likely would just be losing immediately? Because her mom is there and she's like, you know what? I'm ready to fight. She's like, is that what we're doing? All right, we're ready to fight. I love this picture. I love this picture. Now, you may be missing the point, so I will belabor the point. If you want your kids to have grit, guess who needs to have it first? If you want your children that are grown to make it through the seasons in your life, guess who needs to make it through those seasons before they do? If you want your grandchildren to grow up in this difficult world with grit and determination to do what is right and to live a different kind of life, 
Guess who needs to show them the way how, how that's done? Be that example because like it or not, they are watching. They are imitating and they are taking cues from you and from me. It is so incredibly important that we grasp that the best way for us to develop grit in our kids and grandkids is to have it ourselves and let it be seen. All right, so let's talk a little bit about how to build grit, and then we're going to talk a little bit about some other things about how to do that, all right? So here's ways that you can build grit, and I wanted to share this with your, uh, your, your younger people, you know, your teenagers and stuff, but let me just say this. I have a wife who deals with um, middle school age kids all the time. And she says one of the things that she has to deal with at times is the kids want you to do everything for them, not to tell them how to do it for themselves, but for you to do it for them. You can hand them a sheet of instructions on how to do something and they come up and they say, how do you do this? And you're like, well, there's number one, two, and three and it's done. And they're like, yeah, but how? It's like, well, read number one and do it and then number two and do it and then number three and do it. And they're like, but, but how? It's very frustrating because they want you to do for them what they don't want to do on their own. The only way they will ever be what you hope that they will be is for you and I to require them to do stuff that they don't want to do on their own. It's hard but it is important. And our younger generation is not realizing that they were built to do hard things. And they do hard things, but they don't even realize it. Like the things that they can do, I cannot diagram a sentence to save my life. My kids, they told me what they were doing in like their eighth grade homework. I was like, please, Lord, don't let them ask dad to help them with their homework. They've got the mental capacity that far exceeds mine. They might be struggling in the area of grit. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Just keep telling them over and over and over and over, you are able to do hard things. And I would just say, if they can grasp, get ready by just choosing one thing, whether that's playing an instrument or learning a language or doing something really artistic or being a person who's hardcore about their workout or learning to code on computer, any of these things are hard things that they can start small and learn how, but it is a beginning foundation to realize I'm self-sufficient, I'm self-reliant, and I can do and accomplish hard things that other people can't. And when you lay that foundation, they become self-reliant and self-confident so they go on to the next thing realizing all they've got to do is just go a little further and a little more and add a little more and add a little more and it keeps growing until they're a young person who can stand on their own two feet. It's really, really important. And then this is important as well. Understand that frustrations, failures, and boredoms are a necessary part of greatness. I have heard somebody say that those who are great have just learned to deal with the boredom 
of the difficult things that they have to do to get there, more so than those who give up early and never make it to greatness. Very quickly, I shared this with you guys in the Rising teaching series early on. It's from the Atomic Habits book. It says this, the greatest threat to success isn't failure, but boredom. We get bored with habits because they stop delighting us. The outcome becomes expected. And as our habits become ordinary, we start derailing our own progress to seek novelty. Perhaps this is why we get caught up in a never-ending cycle. Go on there to the next one. Jumping from one workout to the next, one diet to the next, one business idea to the next. And as soon as we experience the slightest dip in motivation, we begin seeking a new strategy, even if the old one was still working. And then he says this, and this is powerful. As Machiavelli noted, men desire novelty to such an extent that those who are doing well wish for a change as much as those who are doing badly. That is incredible. If you really stop and think about it, it can be life-changing when it comes to the idea of grit. All right, let's talk a little bit more about ways to build grit. I've shared those things with you. And then that last part there is always, always believe that you can change or grow. This is important. That thing that Angela Duckworth mentioned, the idea of the rerouting and rewiring of your brain is actually what they're finding in the neural transmissions in your physical brain. Because every time that you succeed, every time that you learn something new, you're reprogramming. And when you know that you can reprogram your own brain by learning something new and growing, then you begin to realize it's actually here in my hands, not just something that I'm wishing for. Let's keep moving. Ah, this is difficult. How many of you have ever heard of a blame pie before? Have you all ever heard of a blame pie? Okay, I want to just be very, very practical here. For, for some of you, your children are so quick to blame the teacher or the friend, but never take on their own part. Have you ever had a, a situation where maybe your son or daughter, maybe your grandson or granddaughter came home and said, I failed a major grade because the teacher gave us the wrong test. And they want to say that it was the teacher's fault. Now, I'm not going to ask you to say if you ever did that when you were a teenager, but some of y'all are laughing like you might have. All right, but here's the thing. Let's just say that that is true, that the teacher gave them the wrong test. Or they say, well, I asked my friend if that was going to be on the test, and they said it wasn't. Does any of this sound familiar to y'all? Okay, all right, we've had this conversation. It's not just Shelly and I with our kids who are grown now, but like, this is how it goes. What happens here is the child is saying there's a blame pie to go around and it's 100% the teacher's fault and none of my fault. Growth and grit comes when you say, okay, let's say that it's half of the teacher's fault and let's say it's half left of your friend's fault, but let's remember that you were in the same classes that your friend was in and they heard something and you didn't hear it. Let's remember that you can be better prepared even if you don't know what's on the test. Let's remember that you're making choices every day and so you hold them responsible not for all of it, but for some of it. And the difficult thing is, is that when it comes to grit, they want to say it's everybody else's fault and none of my fault. Grit says, no, 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 no. I'll let you get by with some of that, but some of this you have to own. Some of this is your slice 
of the pie. And if you can do that, you will begin to develop them in a way that says, you know what, I can't always just keep failing and then saying it's somebody else's fault or somebody else is the reason for this. All right, don't miss this. And I, I, I wanna just share this with you. Most parents focus way too much on a child's behaviors and focus way too little on their attitude and their outlook. I'm telling you, this is true. We used to, we used to tell our kids, even when they were little, even when they were little, if they got in trouble and they were fussing and crying, we'd say, you've got about a minute to get over this and then we're moving on. We're not going to have a terrible day because you screwed up and then had a terrible attitude for the rest of the day. We're not doing that. And so we just tell them, we're like, look, hey, you can fuss and cry all you want for about one minute. Go ahead, <laughs> do your thing. And then it was over and we were moving on with the day. You are the parents. You are the grandparents. You can tell them you don't have to let one negative setback ruin the rest of your day. And by the way, sure don't let them ruin the rest of your day because they've had a negative situation. It's too much. There, I, I, I'll, I'll share that other quote later. No, I'll just say it real quick, real quick. He that complies against his will is of his own opinion still. I'll say that one more time. He that complies against his will is of his own opinion still. In other words, you can tell your kids what they will do and what they won't do, but then when you're not there to tell them what to do anymore, they still have that thing that you are trying to break them of, even because you know they've never been broken of that. He that complies against his will is of their own opinion still. That's mean, that means whenever they go away and you can't tell them what to do and why to do it, then they will do what you don't want them to do. All right, so what to pass along and how to pass it along. Very quickly, you pass along grit and the mindset of being a lifelong learner. And I'm moving quickly here just to make sure. Let's go to our next slide. Here's how you pass it along. This is the 30,000 foot view. You teach the power of compounding interest. 1% better each day makes you 100% better in half of a year, you know, or whatever it might be. And so it's 1% better. It's the power of small wins, not making this huge overhaul of a life, but being just a little bit better today than you were yesterday. And then remind them that fear is not forever and failure is not final because you will have to let your children and grandchildren and even yourself fail at times to pay the price to get better. And it is hard to do that, but we have to do it constantly. Hey, don't worry about failing. Hey, you blew a test. That doesn't mean that you have to blow off the rest of the year and not give your very best. Ask your teacher for extra credit. Let's do a little bit of ways to get this back. You go on and on and you do it constantly as you do pass that along from the 30,000 foot view. And then finally from the 10,000 foot view, uh, the next slide, you allow your child to fail wisely. Something that might hurt them a little bit now, but pay big dividends later. You require them to make a real effort. Can we be real? Can we be real? Way too much in our society, we are giving kids all these accolades for stuff that they know in their heart of hearts wasn't really that difficult for them to do. And they lose respect for you in the process. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because they know in their heart of hearts, you're gassing them up and there's no substance to it. Hold them to real effort. 
And then thirdly, praise progress constantly. Praise progress, but don't greatly reward less than their best effort. And I put not outcome because sometimes your child will do all of the right things and have a terrible outcome. Never, ever, ever punish your child for an outcome that could not be helped because then you will lose their heart because you've got to let them fail. And guess what? Failing is part of life. There is a time and a season for everything. And most people who make it great have failed somewhere along the way. They're going to grow in self-confidence. They're going to grow in self-reliance. And then they're going to value it more. How many of you ever knew somebody who had an old beat up car, but they paid for it all themselves? And they valued it more than a brand new car that their parents paid for and gave them. Why? Because you earn it. There's something incredible about earning it. And I look back, <laughs> I drove a car that had hail damage on every single quarter panel of the car that I had for a full year. That's hurtful, man. I mean, when you're 17 years old and you're driving around in a beat up car that's literally got hail damage on the roof and the, 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 every single quarter panel on that whole thing. Why? Because I, rather than sink all my money, I was saving it for something else. And so I laughed about it and I just said, you know what? This car ain't who I am. I mean, it's what I drive, but it ain't who I am. And it is important for us to be able to let people separate who they are from what they own. It's important. All right. All right, let's keep moving here. All right, here's how you apply it. You begin to win in your mind and then you sow seeds in others as often as you possibly can. I shared this with you last week. Let's go to our next slide. Here's how you begin to win. It's that you begin to grow. You might have to start saying no to some things that you know are not good for you. You begin to change and do things different than you used to. And that's important. That's how you begin to win in your mind. Not huge differences, but small changes. And then you begin to sow in seeds. And I shared with you guys last week, maybe as we've talked about this message today, maybe a name came to your mind. And if that is true, I hope you'll write that name down and begin to sow seeds into that person immediately and right away. All right, so I'm gonna share this very last slide as the worship team comes forward. Maybe you've seen this. I know I've shared this before, but if you know me, yes, I'm looking at you, Chris Kaczynski. I am correct. You are not. Lincoln was the best president, not George Washington. Lincoln was the best president. But here is Lincoln and his resume of failures. He lost his job in 1832, then was defeated for the legislature, then a year later failed in business. He was elected to the legislature the next year, but then his sweetheart died. He had a nervous breakdown a year after, two years later defeated for Speaker of the House, then defeated for the nomination for Congress, finally elected to Congress, but then lost renomination, rejected to become the land officer, defeated for the Senate, defeated for the nomination for vice president, again defeated for the Senate, and then in 1860, he broke through and he was elected president of the United States. And I believe, and everybody who's a historian believes he's at least in the top three or four. How in the world does somebody have the grit to keep going like that? You realize this is what is right, and this is where we keep going even when it's hard. Paul had it. Lincoln had it. 
It's something that can be developed. You just have to share it and move with your kids, with your grandkids and all that stuff and pour into them so that they develop that grit that helps them to succeed in the life that God has given them. Heavenly Father, help us to be more and more like you. You did not allow yourself to be in any way someone who stopped pursuing what was best. And dear God, I pray that you would help all of us to be the people that you want us to be, that we have that grit, that we give all to accomplish your purposes in our life rather than those things that we would give up on and walk away from. Lord, be with us, I pray in Jesus' name.